Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Christopher Adams, one of the inaugural Ernest C. Hines interns this fall at Good Faith Media. If you're new to this podcast, Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We've published more than 100 titles under our Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org forward slash bookstore. Today's guest is Dr. Jim Somerville, pastor of Richmond, Virginia's First Baptist Church. Jim is also the author of, of the new book, The Seven First Words of Christ, and he's joining us remotely today from Richmond, Virginia. Jim, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Christopher. It's great to be here. To start off, I just want to start with a standard question we ask our authors um, on Good Faith Reads. In one sentence or so, what is your book about? My book is mostly about the first chapter of Mark's gospel and the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the first gospel that was ever written. So, Christopher, what I think makes this book unique is those services that some people have been to called the seven last words of Christ, usually on a Good Friday. And it usually takes about three hours to sit through one of those services and hear the last words of Christ from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. So the twist here is these are the seven first words. And in in his book called How to Read a Book, Mortimer Adler says, if you don't have time to read the whole book, just read the introduction and read the conclusion and skim the middle. So I thought, here's a great way to approach this project. We focus so much on the last words, but what about these first words? What did Jesus say as he was beginning his ministry? What were the first words out of his mouth? And I I was fascinated by that. And so the book contains those seven first words, some deeds, uh, but it's compressed mostly from the first chapter of Mark's gospel. So some of those first words include um, phrases like follow me and come out or mm-hmm. say nothing. Do you have a particular favorite first word or has there been any uh, reader reaction to um, already to a first word that has stood out to you? I, I, I love the first words, which is really the first words out of Jesus' mouth in this gospel, chapter 1, verse 15, when Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the gospel message in Mark, that the kingdom has come near. That is the good news. And it's a helpful corrective to some of the evangelism we hear that's all about heaven and hell. This message is about the kingdom of God, and that is Jesus' focus, not only in the Gospel of Mark, also in Matthew and Luke. And I love the way Mark puts it right up front. So that would be my first word. It's one that I live by and one that has become the mission statement of my church. Hmm. So how would you say that the, the kingdom of God in this first word creates something tangible or something uh, that folks can grab onto in, their, in the here and now and, and, and realistically that maybe you might not get with the sort of heaven and hell uh, evangelicalism. Now, sometimes I picture it like this, Jesus walking into a small town in Galilee, pulling down the flag over the post office. So he pulls down the flag of the Roman Empire and everybody gets excited. They think now he's going to run up the flag of the nation of Israel. That's what we've been waiting for. 
but instead he runs up the flag of the kingdom of God to see who will salute that. And that's, I mean, that's, again, it's a good corrective for us living in this country. We're all about America. And here comes a Messiah who says, where is your ultimate allegiance? What has your deepest loyalty? So Jesus, again, challenges us to think about who comes first in our lives. And those words, as I say, right out of the box in the Gospel of Mark. Who's, who is going to be your king? In which kingdom will you live? We're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Jim to highlight an opportunity here at Good Faith Media. Are you an undergraduate, graduate student, or recently graduated? Are you interested in religious journalism? Well, Good Faith Media is now taking applications to be a part of the Good Faith Media internship team. If you are interested or know of someone who might be interested, I invite you to check out goodfaithmedia.org forward slash internships. Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today we're joined remotely by Jim Somerville, author of the Good Faith Media book, The Seven First Words of Christ. I'm Christopher Adams, one of the two interns this fall at Good Faith Media. Jim, could you tell us something about your writing process? Yes. Anybody who takes a look at this book will see right away that it's very thin, which is good news for some people. You know, they think, finally, a book that I can actually get finished with. That's true. I've told people it's thin enough you could floss your teeth with it. Some people have said, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to floss my teeth with it, and then I'm going to sell it as a used book on Amazon. Please do all of those things, but read it. I, I believe that in here you really do have um, the most condensed version of what Jesus is all about in the Gospel of Mark, and you can read it in about an hour. So my writing process, you'll notice these seven first words are seven sermons that I preached at Richmond's First Baptist Church. I've collected them and compiled them in this book. My process uh, includes lots of reading and meditating on the text before I ever sit down to write the first word. I have a regular process for my sermon writing that involves the sermon writing chair. Christopher, you may have heard about it, but there is an actual chair that I go to when it's time to write the sermon. So there's the study, you know, where you crack open the commentaries and do all the difficult exegesis. Then I move from the study to the sermon writing chair, where I let my creativity flow and begin to envision this sermon and try to let it um, unfold in just the way it wants to. There's sometimes I say I put my fingers on the keyboard of my laptop and um, I don't know where they're going to take me. You know, I start writing and they might go down a path I did not anticipate. Sometimes I have to go back and delete two or three pages in a row because my fingertips took me somewhere nobody wants to go. But often they surprise me. Sometimes it feels like the Holy Spirit is doing my work for me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it is a wonderful experience when it happens and you see words on the page that you couldn't have come up with on your own. That's wonderful. Yes, thanks for sharing it. And often I think read as readers, uh, particularly those who might not be a part of the writing process themselves, um, whether it's you know um, in, in whatever form, it's often that we, we hold the finished material in our hands and we wonder, how do you go from blank page to 
um, 60 or 80 page book or even four or 500 page book, much less, you know, even a book even larger than that. And um, I think it's helpful to hear your process um, to, to hear how your process is not just a one stop shop, but it's this sort of multi multi-stage process that involves um, trying and trying again and being willing to allow um, the, the editing process to be a, a process of deletion and not just a process of addition. And so I think, and I, I, I could see that in, in the writing itself, I can attest to um, being able to read it in just a couple of days um, and feeling like it was easily to under, easily to understand. Um, and that, that writing process of, of deep meditation came through, at least for me as a reader. Um, and I deeply appreciate that. Thank you. Here's what I find. If you do write every week or every day, you know, eventually you write a lot. So I've published this book that's fairly thin, but I've got two file cabinets in here that are filled to overflowing, you know, with the work of my last 34 years. And I would say in the last 10 years, I haven't even printed out hard copies and put them in the file. It's all been digital. And uh, these days I preach from my iPad and not from a manuscript, but if you just keep at it, if you write a little bit every day, right, eventually you'll have a whole lot that's been written. So, yeah, look forward to my next book. It's going to be 857 pages long. <laughs> uh, maybe not. It sounds like a book uh, I would have read at Duke Divinity School. Or, or you might have left it on the shelf. Um, I have a few of those that I hope to maybe someday crack open. Um, well, I want to continue um, talking about maybe some more fine, fine points within the book. Mm-hmm. Um, a golden thread that sort of runs through the book for me um, is this examination of boundaries. And, yes. to, and to paraphrase your words, uh, you, you observe Christ moving from like a code of purity towards Christ's code of compassion. Yes. And likewise, uh, Christ is also the one that, um, at least in kind of Western Christian Orthodox traditions, we affirm the, the two natures of Christ being fully God and fully human in the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. And in that compassion that you point out that Christ is kind of recodifying, there's an invitation to us as individuals to move our hearts towards Christ, for Christ to rule over our hearts. And I guess my question is, why for you is the boundary between us and Christ important in constructing a more enlightened image of Christ? And how is our decision to allow God to control our being or our hearts and outworking of us as human beings? Let me take a stab at that, Christopher. I, I hope that know, wasn't too. <laughs> yeah, the, the boundaries between us and Christ in the Gospel of Mark, the boundaries seem thin because Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as so human. You know, John, on the other end of the spectrum, presents a Jesus who seems to float about three feet off the ground through the entire gospel. But in Mark, Jesus is very earthy, very human. You know, you can believe that this is a a God who eats and drinks and sleeps and has to wake up the next morning. Um, like most of us wake up in the morning, not, not easily and not quickly. <laughs> in, in the baptism segment here, you know, how I, I talk about Jesus immersing himself in the human condition, you know, really becoming one with us, experiencing our humanity on the deepest level, and uh, inviting us to experience him and his divinity on this deep level. And I, I really believe 
Jesus in Mark's gospel is constantly breaking through these, these barriers, stepping across these boundaries that would separate God from us or us from God, and, and invites us to do the same. You know, just reach out and see that the boundary between heaven and earth is not that thick. Um, the, the boundary between divinity and humanity it may be easier to step across than you think. It doesn't mean that we will become God. Uh, but it means we can participate in the life of God. We can become part of what Jesus is doing. We can help him bring in this kingdom that he keeps talking about. So then what do you think that might be as a, as a call to action in the here and now as communities of Christ? What kinds of tangible things do you, do you see as, per, as participating in that inbreaking? Yes. Well, as I told you, Jesus' first word in the Gospel of Mark has become our mission at Richmond's First Baptist Church. We call it KOH to RBA. We're trying to bring the kingdom of heaven to Richmond, Virginia. It's actually the license plate on the front of my car, KOH to RBA. But what I tell people is, how do you do that? You know, how do you bring heaven to earth? And I say, why don't you begin by looking around for anything that doesn't look like heaven? And then roll up your sleeves and get busy. And for so many people, you know, looking through their own eyes, they see different things that need attention. My wife, for example, she is a reading specialist. She likes to work with children who are having a hard time learning how to read because she knows the number of prison cells built in Virginia is based on the number of kids who are not reading by the end of third grade. She sees a direct correlation between these two. And she thinks, if I want to keep people out of prison, I got to teach kids to read. And that's mm -hmm. how she brings heaven to earth. You know, that's how she works to bring in this kingdom that Jesus was always talking about. For other people, it's different things. You know, some might want to focus on evangelism. How do we bring people into this life with Christ? Others concerned about the environment. Some uh, working with our homeless population here in the city. Others thinking about single moms. What can we do for them? But the opportunities are endless as you begin to look around with that kind of vision. You know, what, what do I need to do to bring heaven a little closer to earth? What is it that doesn't look like heaven yet? How can I work with Christ to make this kingdom dream a reality here and now? Hmm. I love that. I, I love the, on the one hand, you're talking about something on a sort of a cosmic scale of participating in something that's way beyond any of us individually, um, while at the same time allowing an individual to feel like they can participate um, because it is within their reach, yet it is also beyond any of our capacity as, as one people to do you know, at the same time. And I think that tension speaks to the boundaries that you that kind of threads through the book at the same time, recognizing the boundary, but at the same time, being able to sort of weave in and out, but not really know that you're weaving in and out. And that sort of ambiguity seems to sort of get to the heart of maybe what faith is in Christ. I, I think about the person in our church who walks the neighborhood um, with one of those tools that lets you pick up trash off the ground without bending down to touch it. We call it a nifty nabber. But he walks around with his nifty nabber and a plastic bag, and he's picking up trash. And when I ask him why, he says, well, you told us, you know, to look around for anything that doesn't look like heaven. I don't think there will be any trash on the ground in heaven. Mm 
Okay, that's simple. That's practical. It's probably not what Jesus had in mind. But I love the way his mind has engaged this project, right? He's doing that. There are others who are working for racial justice in our church. You know, there are others who are, are really out there working with the poorest of the poor in our city. And I, I love it that the human imagination can engage the imagination of God in bringing this kingdom to earth. So wherever you are on that spectrum, whatever your particular vision, there's a place for you in this work. And I, I think that's clear uh, to me from reading the first chapter of Mark's gospel. Hmm. So we've gotten to hear some of your thoughts uh, here together in this interview, but Jim, I was wondering if you might read for us a sentence or two um, from the book that you think is critical for listeners to hear, uh, either because it's representative of the book or this conversation we've been having about boundaries or because you think it's especially important for folks to hear right now, um, particularly in this sort of season of pandemics that we're sort of enthralled in. Okay, I'm looking through my copy of the book to see where I've heavily underlined so that I can can share it with you. I, I was just looking at the last chapter because, you know, if you don't have time to read the whole book, you should read the beginning, the introduction, and the conclusion. Um, I say here, in the end, what we have is Mark's picture of Jesus, set apart from those of the other evangelist. For Mark, Jesus is both the long-awaited Messiah and the Son of God, but a Son who immerses himself so fully in the human condition that he becomes one with us. He strides forth out of the wilderness, proclaiming the good news that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he calls disciples who will help him bring in the kingdom. He still does. He still does. The last word in that book is it's time. You know, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. It's time to bring it in. That's all I have to say about that, Christopher. Why are we still talking? We should be out there working. Let's go. Yeah, no, that, that's a good that's a good question. I think that's a, a good question that fits well within the scope of, of your book to, to say, you know, the, the conversation needs to be brief because there's work to be done. I love the way you said that. Please write that down and post that on the outside jacket of the book. It's brief because there's too much work to be done to sit around reading. Okay. That's perfect. I like that. <laughs> good. Well, our time is coming close to our end here, but I wanted to thank you again for uh, our time together. And again, for you listeners, uh, our guest today on Good Faith Reads has been Dr. Jim Somerville, author of uh, his new book, The Seven First Words of Christ. And the book, along with more than 100 other titles, is available as both a print book and ebook at goodfaithmedia.org forward slash bookstore. And again, that is goodfaithmedia.org forward slash bookstore. Jim, we appreciate you being our guest today and for taking time to enlighten us a little more on the on a fuller image of Christ, the one who calls us out into the world to be his hands and feet. Christopher, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And uh, God bless you and the folks at Good Faith Media. An important note to all of our listeners, we at Good Faith Media are always accepting book proposals. 
our authors engage with an experienced team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. If you have a book proposal or know of an author seeking publication, I invite you to head on over to goodfaithmedia.org forward slash bookstore for more information. Thank you.